welcome to Launch, the GCC podcast. I'm your host, Marty Duran, Director of Communications for the Great Commission Collective. We're a global network of churches partnering together to plant churches and strengthen leaders. On this episode of Launch, Dave Harvey is joined by Bob Lapine, GCC board member, in a conversation with Alistair Begg, author of Brave by Faith. Alistair's been pastor at Parkside Church near Cleveland, Ohio since 1983. He's also written several books, could be heard daily and weekly on the program Truth for Life. In this conversation, they talk about the book of Daniel and Brave by Faith and how Christians today can live by faith and stand firm in courage in this turbulent time. Now, here's Dave and Bob with Alistair Begg. subtitle of your book talks about being brave by faith in a post-Christian world. Would you say that in in the United States, are we headed there or are we there? Well, I I think it's not difficult to argue that we are actually there. Um, But if that seems extreme, then we could say, well, we're we're, uh, seven-tenths of the way down the road to that conclusion. I think that the idea in some recent books, you know, uh, Carl Truman's uh, most recent book, which is wonderfully helpful, when he, when he gets to the, the very small piece that he does at the end, you know, he says, essentially, welcome to, welcome to the second century. Um, but I don't think so, uh, because the second century was essentially pre-Christian. Uh, now this is an environment, certainly in America, that has had the benefits of, you know, 200 years of, um, you know, a, f- a framework that has been uh, underpinned by uh, certain basic biblical convictions that are being systematically dismantled and have been over a, a, a period of time. I think really we're at the point where we're just seeing uh, the evidence of what has been going on um, behind the scenes and uh, underneath the bushes, as it were. Tim Keller differentiates between Christianity and Christendom. You've heard him talk about that. And he would say, the we're seeing Christendom erode. We're seeing Christian influence on contemporary culture begin to erode. And, and how does that shift the way pastoral ministry is done, do you think? You know, it's a huge question, isn't it? And it's, a, it's actually a question that I, I'm wrestling with myself. I mean, I'm, I'm asking that question um, because uh, even the last 12 or 14 months have thrown so many things up in the air and have uh, revealed aspects of uh, life and character and uh, the way that church is being done that it, I think it is important for us to be wrestling with the question because the temptation, for me at least, is simply to try and return us to the status quo. But what if the status quo wasn't really that good to begin with? And that uh, under God, the, the shakeup is not uh, all um, to be a cause for alarm, but to be a cause for reassessment. And I, I think that when we take it in that way, then it allows us to um, pick things up and lay them down again. And the things that once examined need to stay, should stay. And perhaps when it comes to um, our line of approach that needs to be 
uh, refined, then we had to be prepared. We had to be prepared to do that. And I don't mean that in any way, obviously, in terms of dismantling essential uh, biblical or theological convictions. But I think the idea of a call to bravery is a necessary call because the climate has changed, certainly in my understanding, from one in which there was a sort of um, vague tolerance of whatever strange view you Christians might have to an aggressive posture towards uh, things that are actually foundational to the application of scripture, you know, vis-a-vis family, gender, the nature of sexuality at, 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 every, at every level. And as we've been going through 2 Samuel, you know, the thing that has been striking to me at least is that, you know, it's a Psalm 2 um, story all the way along. Why do, the, why do the nations rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? A reminder to us that, uh, that, 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 that King Jesus is, is uh, consistently opposed uh, not simply at the level of political engagement, but also in terms of intellect and uh, and uh, commercially, and certainly uh, at the at the very heart of what it means to be to be human at the moment. Yeah, so, it leads it leads one to wonder whether when a when a society moves from being apathetic towards Christians to being antagonistic, whether that actually provides a better ecosystem for the church to flourish because uh, you know Christians the idea of Christians being a, a hated minority in a in a hypersexualized pagan culture uh, was pretty much the you know the ecosystem that that biblical t- or the new testament times right it's, it's it seems like that, that's a place where Christ, cultural christians can no longer stand you know that that ambiguous middle ground is being removed and evaporating and it, and it pushes Christians to determine what they believe. Yeah. And, and you see that particularly like back at home. Um, when I say home, I mean, back in Scotland, but, you know, liberal Christianity has been, has been dead, you know, since the turn of a century. I mean, the influence of German theology in Presbyterianism in Scotland, which, uh, people played footsie with, you know, in the early days, um, either out of a desire for sort of academic acceptance or, you know, cultural engagement. Uh, wittingly or unwittingly, they just, they just uh, paved the way for the context in which, you know, believing Christians find themselves today. I think the good news about it, though, is that any thinking person realizes that that is a moribund uh, story. I mean, there is nothing. There's nothing there to be enjoyed or or experienced or even opposed, because uh, the, the the person who doesn't actually believe uh, in the very authority and sufficiency of Scripture, uh, we don't need to oppose him. He he'd go away on his own. As you looked, Alistair, at the the example of Daniel in Babylon, in the book Brave by Faith, and looked at where we are. So what are the lessons we can learn from his experience that apply to our current cultural moment, do you think? Um, well, one of the things that we try and say very early, maybe even in the introduction, is um, this is not a story in which Daniel is the hero, uh, but God is the hero of the story. 
Um, we've got a bad history, I think, in Sunday school, particularly of, of uh, just creating an, an amazing opportunity for moralism in the way in which to teach everything from the feeding of the, the feeding of the five thousand and all the way through. But um, that so the big lesson is uh, that that we learn to trust in Daniel's God, the way in which Daniel trusted God in a climate and in a framework that is vastly different from our own. Once we've said that, then it's not difficult to realize that the idea of uh, living in an environment where let's take uh, the average teenager in our church is having, he may not be having his name changed, but he's certainly having his, uh, his uh, mind reframed uh, with an approach to education, which is uh, uh, no longer just um, sort of uh, in, in, in the realm of, uh, well, whatever. It's, it's, it is, as, as David is suggesting, that it is an aggressive approach um, to, to things. I, I just saw a thing yesterday about a, a fellow in, uh, uh, in England, a chaplain of a Christian school, who in uh, reacting to the... Uh, invitation that was given to the LGBTQT group to come in and, and help this Christian school understand, understand. And when he pushed back on that, uh, they fired him. They, they removed him as the chaplain, as a, as a chaplain in a school, which of course made me think of my situation that I spoke to you once about before in the Christian college out on the West Coast of America, where when I was speaking on Ephesians 5 and happened to mention that uh, the framework for sex is within the context of a, a monogamous, heterosexual, lifelong marriage. And uh, there was a wholesale walkout on the part of the students in a, in a Christian college. So, if, you know, if judgment is going to begin first at the house of God, you know, it's, and, and it needs to. So that the real challenge is, uh, where, where are the people who, as we see this framework, uh, are, are then able to hold to convictions, which are not simply knee-jerk reactions to a decaying political structure, but which are expressions of a deeply held understanding of who God is and what it means to be made in the image of God and what it means to be made to know, love, and serve God, and, and so on. If, if there are fiery furnaces and lion's dens ahead for us, in, in some modern vernacular. I mean, getting fired is, is a lot less than being thrown into the fiery furnace. But I think many of the people in our churches are, are legitimately afraid that what is ahead for us is a time of turbulence that will be very unsettling. How do we keep from being fearful about the encroachment of those things? Well, this again, I think as we think in terms of our role as pastors, I mean, this is something that, that I'm very exercised about in a way that hasn't been true uh, to the same extent in any of the last, you know, 40 years of my life, because I've, I've never really uh, had to think about the fact that the person who is uh, a member at our church and who is, uh, is a, a medic uh, in the realm of infectious diseases is confronted with ethical dilemmas on a, on a daily basis that if he or she is prepared to challenge the status quo, may actually 
uh, result in their loss of a job. It may actually result in the loss of their credentials. You never know. And so as a pastor, I'm having to uh, rein myself in, in one respect, because I don't want the people who are out in, I was going to say, with a real job, you know, surrounded by um, hells and dams, as, uh, as Howie Hendricks used to say, um, don't look at me and go, well, it's okay for you, Pastor, because you, you're not going to lose your job for saying the things you're saying, but are you really suggesting that we hold the line here? And I suppose I am. I mean, I, before we came uh, in our conversation, now I had a phone call from somebody who is going this evening to uh, participate in the local school board, and the local school board is pressing very heavily on this question of transgenderism and everything. And the question that is asked of me is, Pastor, how do we position ourselves in this context to uh, not be belligerent or obnoxious and yet not cave in? Um, so it sounds like I've got more questions than I've got answers, but I'm just being as honest as I can. I mean, it really is a, it, it is a challenge. I was thinking about um, when I was reviewing what you had written and, uh, and, and in the context of this question, just you know, the, the writer of Hebrews and how he's, he's trying to call them to faith. But, he, but he, before the big chapter 11 faith um, chapter, he's basically reminding them in chapter 10, well, you, you remember, you know, you're, you, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property and, and because you knew something else, you had a faith towards God. And, and, and there's a sense where, you know, he's calling them, and, and I love your title, to a bravery by faith, uh, at, with the recognition that God met them in the past, and God will meet them in the present and future as well. Right. Yeah, part of it is that maybe, you know, our task now is to keep our foot in the door uh, so that subsequent generations will still have access through that door, you know, that we, we may be living in a period in time of such convulsion that in looking for the answers uh, to our questions in the immediate, uh, we're, not, we're not necessarily going to, to find them any more than if you think about the circumstances, you know, in, 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 in Kidderminster, uh, when, when Richard Baxter in the 17th century, you know, goes into a place that is just completely um, at sea, you know, the people were revelers, they were drunks, they were, they were immoral, and they were chaotic. And uh, in, in he goes, you know, with a conviction that uh, the word of God does the work of God by the power of the Spirit of God, you know, and if you go there to Kidderminster today, you say, well, where is the evidence of that? Well, that's because the things that Baxter held dear and proclaimed, which resulted in a transformed community, have been let go of. And uh, that's why, you know, that's why I say what I say that, you know, I look on the young men on my pastoral team and I say, you know, to you, this will fall. Um, to you, this will fall. I mean, I, I can do what I can do for now, but um, maybe all that I can do is, not deviate from course, keep my finger in the door, remain, uh, remain there so that they can look to me as others would look to their pastors and say, well, they held, they held the line. Um, 
and and I think actually I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, clearly, but I, I really think that every time people come to me and they bemoan the circumstances of, uh, you know, whatever it might be, the political developments in the States, I, I, my answer is always the same. I think this is probably bad for the country and good for the church mm. and good for the church in the same way that you're suggesting, Dave. Is it Tozer who talks about, you know, when the heat is turned up, then we'll find out who the chocolate soldiers are. Mm. And so th th that purifying work, which, uh, is, is clearly a painful work, especially in the diminishing of apparent influence, um, is, a, is a necessary thing in, in, uh, in order to uh, show that the power belongs to God. And I mean, I, I'm just thinking of Gideon as I speak, you know, well, well, we don't have enough, we don't have enough, we don't have enough. No, 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 you got far too many. Let me, let me reduce your numbers for you so that you might understand this and everyone will understand it. So that is the, 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 the foolishness of God is, is wiser than the wisdom of, of man and the weakness is stronger than man's strength. So should a pastor stay the course, continue to faithfully exposit the scriptures? Will that be sufficient to build the, the bravery by faith of the congregation? Or is now the time to switch to topical sermons addressing transgenderism and tax exempt status? <laughs> well, that's a set up question, isn't it? I, no, I, I think that uh, the, the, I don't have any question in my mind about keeping, uh, keeping uh, going on systematically consecutive ex exposition of the scriptures. However, I do think that, and, and again, this is something I'm wrestling with myself. I mean, I, I, I broke I broke ground uh, a few Sunday nights ago in speaking from Acts, Acts chapter four, I, without really any preparation at all, except a conviction. Um, and I said to them, I, I, I want us to look here at Acts four and see the way in which uh, boldness uh, is, is the prayer of the people and is the expression of Peter and John. And I said, it is a time, I think, for us to be bold. And you know, to simply to simply be involved in proclamation without refutation won't actually it, it won't have the cutting impact. It, you know, it, it, in the sense that you know, when I got here in the eighties, it was the quotes uh, battle for the Bible and the Chicago definition and arguing about you know the uh, the, the nature of scripture and so on. Well, that. That is long in the past. If we want to engage in uh, the battle for the Bible now, it is where the Bible cuts right across uh, the context in which we live, at, at the very heart of the nature of family life, at the question of um, uh, objective truth uh, in these areas. And so I think that I need to be more help to my people in making sure that I don't just assume that they know how to make application of this. Um, and the, 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 the real challenge in that is, you know, if, if you take the examples in church history of uh, those who in, in, uh, in, in, in a realm of, of um, uh, antagonism, if you like, have held the line. I mean, Wilberforce is a classic 
insofar as it wasn't enough for him to say, well, we just have to explain what the Bible says. No, he says, we have to explain that this is an affront against humanity and that this must be dismantled. Well, <laughs> you say, oh, so it's a kind of argument for uh, Black Lives Matter. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, actually, it's probably an argument for the reverse of that, but for being prepared to say in our context how these things are, are impacted by an understanding of the gospel. What about the pastor who is becoming fearful, losing heart in this moment and thinking, I, I'm fearful. I, how does he develop bravery in his own soul? People are leaving his church. Uh, he's wondering about tax exempt status. He's wondering about the future of ministry for him. What does he do? Are you talking about me now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have, I've long since moved away from the way I used to teach Second Timothy, which was, you know, Timothy, you know, he had a weak stomach. He was, he was a young guy. Uh, he, he was naturally diffident. And so Paul has to kind of shore him up. And, and so there was a sort of uniqueness to Timothy. Don't let anybody uh, um, despise your youth. You're only young. Um, uh, use a little wine for your tummy's sake. And uh, if Timothy comes, put him at his ease. And I think in the early days, I used to say, so anybody that's like that, uh, this will be a great benefit. Then I suddenly realized, this is me. This is me. In fact, this is pastoral ministry. And so I would say to my colleagues who feel that way, welcome to the group. I mean, and, and unless we have that sense, uh, we're probably in a far more precarious position than we would be without that sense. That because it drives us again and again back on God, back on the, the power of the Holy Spirit, back on the sufficiency of Scripture and so on. So that, we, 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 you know, we hear Paul saying to us, you know, keep your head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And, uh, you know, it's a time, I think, for joyful endurance, but for endurance. I would say to them as well, do what I did. And, and that was, I, I read through the, the little banner of truth book of John Murray's sermons. Um, I forget the title of it at the moment. It's behind me here, I'm sure. But he has a wonderful sermon in there on where two or three are gathered together in my name. And he doesn't do as other well-known people have done with that text, but he actually uh, takes it at face value. And he asked the question, he's addressing pastors, and he said, if only two people showed up at your evening service, would you cancel the service? And then he says, you know, God forbid that you would do such a thing. Granted that you gather in the presence of the risen Christ, you know, and so on. Found it tremendously uh, powerful because, you know, we, we're, we've been running, you know, a third of uh, what would have been normal uh, 18 months ago. And we don't know whether people went, whether they're coming back or wherever they're going. So if, you know, if you start with X thousand and go down, you still got enough to bolster up your fragile ego, I suppose. But if you're starting, you know, with uh, 90 people, uh, you're looking at uh, a real challenge. And I can see, and, and, and uh, I would say, well, let's remember what Jesus said, fear not little flock, little flock. For it, is the, for it is the Father's purpose to, to give you the kingdom. We have to hold on to that. Bob, I think I was telling you that um, 
when we were together last that I, one of the things that I'm trying to do and think about thinking about this is, is I'm, I've, I'm, I've got Moeller's book on what is it? The conviction of the leader and, and Ed Welch's book on fear of man, both on my desk. And I'm, I'm reviewing them together to address my soul because I feel like my soul is very vulnerable to, to fear of man issues, but also my, my moral clarity um, on, on what a leader is and what a leader does, uh, and because this is unfamiliar territory to me, but it's not to the New Testament. It's not to the history of Christianity. And there's a sense where now it's, it's time for us to play our part. Yeah, you know, I, th I think that you come in all the way to your beginning uh, question, Bob, if I remember correctly. I mean, one of the lessons is that the recurring message throughout, well, throughout the Bible, but certainly throughout uh, the early chapters of Daniel, is uh, God is in charge and you can trust him. <laughs> and so we have to, we have to come to uh, a conviction in our own hearts that that is true so that we might then say that to our people in a way that uh, acknowledges both our vulnerabilities and our own fearfulness um, and allows them to say, well, goodness, if the pastor feels that way, then that's a big encouragement to me because I thought I was the only person that felt that way. Um, you know, I, I tell my people all the time that, you know, I, I, I'm not sure about a lot of the, the lines in some of our songs, you know, like, I will not fear the final night. Um, the fight of the matter is I do fear the final night. If you ask me dead on, like if you said, well, tonight will be your final night. I, I don't think I'd be going, oh, this is good. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I haven't got where Richard Baxter was, you know, Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I live or die. So there is a dimension of, of spiritual progress and trustfulness that uh, is, still, is still out in front of us. And uh, I think without... Um, without overplaying that, it's, it's good at least to be uh, prepared to acknowledge it. Well, and your book helps us acknowledge the reality and move from the reality of our fear to being brave by faith. And uh, I, on behalf of fellow pastors, this has been helpful for me. I know it's going to be helpful for others. Thank you for this. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Launch, the GCC podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, why not take a moment to do that in your favorite podcast app? Also, rate and review the podcast when you get a moment. That helps us with search results. And recommend us to your friends, maybe other pastors that you know, who will benefit from the content from this podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our website if you haven't done that already. It's gccollective.org. That's gccollective.org. And there's a lot of helpful information. There's articles. There's how you can join the GCC, whether a church planter or an existing church, and plenty of other content that will help you grow spiritually and encourage you in your leadership journey.